0: Tuesday edition of PFTPM, week three in the book. Shireen Williams, Mike Florio will be joined by MDS coming up later to give out the week four awards. Shireen, good afternoon. You got to see last night's dismantling of the Philadelphia Eagles by the Dallas Cowboys. My quick takeaway from that game, two teams currently on two very different levels. The Cowboys dramatically better across the board than the Eagles. Do you agree?
1: Oh absolutely no question about it Mike it was never a contest from the start the Cowboys clearly were the better team and I think they're the favorites in the NFC East obviously and I've said that all along because they have the the best quarterback in the division after Fitz even before Fitzpatrick got hurt but now with Fitzpatrick hurt I think they're way better than Washington but we're gonna find out they get and, the Giants in two weeks then go 2-0 in the division
0: yeah and and uh, d- The preseason injury questions with Dak, the shoulder injury, which was so deep in his shoulder, it was basically a back injury, that strain. There were just questions about whether he would be the guy that he was last year before the injury. He is, if not better than the guy he was last year before the injury. They're finding balance in their offense. Their defense is better. It can't be any worse than it was last year, and they're winning football games. And they've been in all three games. Obviously, they've won two of them. They could have beaten the Buccaneers, and they're on their way. We are on our way, speaking of the Buccaneers. They're heading to Foxborough this weekend. If you haven't heard, I wonder how many NFL fans out there aren't aware. Like, is it going to be a surprise when they ask a friend or a family member, hey, what games are on this weekend? And somebody says, oh, Tom Brady's going back to New England. And they say, oh, I didn't know that. I doubt there's anybody out there that is not aware that one of the most anticipated regular season games in years, if not ever, is happening Sunday night in Foxborough at Gillette Stadium. Here is Tom Brady from his Let's Go podcast. Usually he has a word in the middle. I guess they they couldn't use the word that he says in the middle. Although if Eli Manning can do the double-barreled middle fingers yeah. on ESPN2, maybe they could have called it Let's effing Go. Here's Tom Brady from... Let's go talking about his return to New England.
2: When I think of 20 years in one place, you're right. I know that locker room. I know that home locker room. I know that home tunnel. I know, you know, which way the wind blows. I know everything about that. I know the way it smells. I know what a night game's like. I know what the fans are going to sound like. So in some ways that'll be really unique. I've never had that experience going to, you know, knowing it'll be a first time for me being on the other sidelines. So you know, I'm not going to necessarily reminisce. I don't think this is the moment for that. And I'll have plenty of opportunities to reminisce about my football career. Um, none of it, none of which I really care to do right now because I'm so much in the moment. And um, I'm not going to be thinking about, you know, 20 years of history. I'm going to be thinking about one night of football, a Sunday night game coming off a really tough loss. They They're coming off a really tough loss. So Both teams are going to be fighting and clawing for a win.
3: Be your message to the fans as you now embark on going back to Gillette?
2: Well, I wouldn't expect a a homecoming. I mean, I think they're there to root for their team and their team is the Patriots. And I I certainly have a lot of people that cheered for me over the years. I know they'll probably be, um, you know, I have a lot of family there and I have a lot of friends that have wanted to go to the game. They've been asking me about tickets for six months. So there'll be a lot of excitement from them in the stands. But, um, you know, I think, the home crowd at Gillette is a great is a great crowd, and I think they're going to cheer for their team as I would expect them to, and I think if they know anything about me, they're going to know that I'm going out there to try to win the football game.
0: That's Tom Brady from the Let's Go podcast. I was getting so engrossed, I didn't know it was time for me to talk. <laughs> it basically was becoming the Let's Go podcast on PFTPM, as we heard from Tom Brady, but I think, Shereen, that he can tell himself it's a normal game, yeah. just another Sunday, just another game, just another check of the box as they move deeper into the schedule. He can tell himself that. And Tony Dungy spoke of this the other night. He told himself that when coaching the Colts and returning to Tampa Bay for the first time. You can tell yourself all week and anyone else who will be listening that this is no different than any other game. And then you go out of the tunnel and you hear the ovation. And really the best thing that the Gillette Stadium crowd could do is give Tom Brady a standing ovation. Make him emotional. I know that the Patriots during the 20 years that Brady was in New England would only get concerned about him if they thought he would be too emotional for whatever reason in a given game because the emotion is what knocks you wobbly. It's what makes you different than what you ordinarily are so he's going to try to not be emotional the fans if they want to sabotage this and get the win they should do everything they can to make him emotional that's going to be I think his biggest challenge is understanding how he's going to feel processing it and moving on from it as quickly as possible
1: Mike, you talked to Sam Darnold a couple weeks ago. Sam Darnold did not spend a long time with the Jets, and he talked about how emotional it was after spending the whole entire week saying, oh, it's not going to be emotional going against the Jets. And he talked to you about standing there at the National Anthem and seeing the Jets across the, the field from him and how weird it was. I mean, Tom Brady spent 20 years with the New England Patriots. He doesn't—he hasn't been in the visitors' locker room. He hasn't been on the visitors' side of the field. He hasn't stood for the national anthem and seen the Patriots across from him. He hasn't had the fans cheer against him. I will be curious to see how many Tom Brady jerseys are in the stands because I would expect that there will be a lot in the stands. But he's right in that the, most of those people are going to be rooting for the Patriots, not for Tom Brady. They'll be nice to him but they want him to lose, and and there'll be a little conflict there. But this is going to be a strange, strange experience for Tom Brady, no matter what he says. When the game starts, maybe all that does go away, but to me it's still going to be strange for him, Mike.
0: There were so many Tom Brady jerseys sold during his time in New England because even late in his tenure there, his jersey was the top-selling jersey in all of football. There must be people who have closets full of these things as they grew up. This is the one I had when I was six. This is the one I had when I was eight. This is the one I had when I was 10, all the way from six to 21 or six to 26, as the case may be. That's how long he was there. That's how ingrained he was in that culture. And it is going to be strange for everybody. It's Super Bowl level tickets on the secondary market. I won't be surprised if they're even higher. This is once-in-a-lifetime stuff. This is Tom Brady, who spent 20 years and won six championships in one place, leaving, playing at a very high level, and coming back. Not Joe Namath on the Rams or Johnny Unitas on the Chargers, not broken-down shell of what they once were. It's different from Brett Favre going back to Green Bay as a member of the Vikings because there was hatred there, and I remember that game in 2009 Every time Favre stepped on the field, he was loudly booed because that was during the moment in the relationship where there was acrimony. This is a different vibe altogether, and I think everybody involved is going to have to process it. I think it's going to be emotional for Bill Belichick. The only people that aren't going to matter and the only people that aren't going to care are the Patriots players who have no connection to Tom Brady, and there aren't a whole lot of them. But those are the ones who won't care because I think the other Buccaneers players are going to get caught up in the moment and they're going to want to win that game very badly for Tom Brady to the point where someone needs to worry about them knocked a little wobbly by the moment trying to get that victory because they don't want to be responsible for Tom Brady going back to New England and not getting a win.
1: And there's at least one player, Mike, who is going to be emotional in this game. One new player who wasn't there when Tom Brady's there. And that's Mac Jones. How is he going to handle this setting with Tom Brady coming home? And he's the heir apparent to Tom Brady. I realize it's been two years since he left, but that's what they drafted him for to be the next Tom Brady, to be there for 20 years. They hope. And so I I would expect that Mac Jones is going to feel some things just having Tom Brady come back. And he's going to remember this game forever. And he's going to remember it even more if they can somehow pull off the upset.
0: It will be an upset even bigger than Giants over the Patriots in Super Bowl 42 if Tom Brady fails to set the all-time career passing yardage (laughs) record. He only needs 68 yards to surpass Drew Brees. And Breeze will be there at the game, part of the Sunday night football crew. The Football Night in America studio crew will be up there at Foxborough for that moment. So Breeze will be there. Maybe they'll have Breeze give Brady the laminated sheet of paper. Remember how goofy that was when they brought out a, a sheet of Dunder Mifflin's finest white letter stock, eight and a half by 11, in a plastic folder commemorating the all-time career passing yardage but but whatever it is i'm sure that i don't know will they stop the game i guess they'll stop the game that's That's gonna be another weird moment yeah i I hadn't thought of that if if this was in tampa hell yeah they stopped the game this is of all places new england when he gets to 68 passing yards he's the all-time career passing yardage leader probably never to be caught by anyone else although who the hell knows at this point but it will be a long time if it happens that will be amazing, and that will be another moment where he needs to be ready for the emotions of that. To the extent he even cares about that. He may not care about that. All he cares about is the next Super Bowl championship. But to the extent he gets a standing ovation when he walks in, he's going to get another one when that happens. So that's going to be kind of a delayed reaction he needs to be ready for. Patriots coaches met with reporters today to talk about the return of the Tommy to New England here's some of them led by offensive coordinator Josh McDaniels
2: you know we were obviously uh, very good friends um and and close and that should never change and um I know he'll be excited to compete and come up here and and try to to, to win and play his best game and um we're preparing to try to do the same thing so um, you know, I've, I've coached against a lot of people that um, we used to coach, a lot of coaches that I've used to coach with. Um, there's always an added sentiment to the game um, emotionally. Um, I would not expect this game to be any different.
3: I love Tom Brady. I always have. I, I spent 20 years with a young guy. Um, I am very honored to have played or been a part of the team with him. Uh, i still think he's the greatest but right now that sob is the son is the defense, is on the enemy so however you put it he's coming in he, he's the enemy i love i still love him i think he's a great person mm-hmm. but uh there there's uh i'm not gonna be sharing any love when it comes to game time and we'll share that love afterwards when it's all said and done
4: Man, it's, it's truly amazing. You know, he's been playing at a high level for a long time. You know, when you, you know, we got the depth charts and they said how many years he was playing. I was like, his career alone is old enough to drink. It's crazy.
3: <laughs> I, I'm happy for him, for the success he's had. And I'm looking forward to trying to beat his butt. And that's, that's what counts.
0: Tom Brady's career is so great and it's lasted so long. Yeah. He's already earned two busts in canton pre-2008 post-2008 and he's working on a third one 2020 and beyond with the tampa bay buccaneers and by the time he's done he may have the credentials that if you broke his career into three parts he could go in to the hall of fame three different ways with three different hairstyles maybe maybe that should happen <laughs> maybe maybe there should be multiple tom brady busts in canton Shereen.
1: One for every Super Bowl, Mike. that That's what we need, one for every Super Bowl. His greatness is really unmatched and will be unmatched for the history of this game. And I know the Chiefs did a lot of talking about how many Super Bowls they were going to win and all that kind of stuff, and they figured out last year against Tom Brady – I guess that's irony. We always try to decide what irony is. Ironically enough, uh, against Tom Brady last year, they figured out how hard it is to win that second Super Bowl, much less that sixth and seventh Super Bowl that they've talked about in matching Tom Brady. It's hard to do, and he's managed to do it, Mike. And I'm so interested from start to finish in this game, like uh, how are Belichick and Brady going to greet each other? Is Bob Kraft going to be down there? Are they going to share a moment? Or is Brady going to be totally focused and not talk to any of the Patriots? Are they going to have a pregame video for Tom Brady like some teams do uh, before he starts the game? And as you talked about, maybe that gets his emotions going. Are they going to stop the game once he sets the all-time passing yards record? There's so many questions I have about what's going to go on, not only in between the lines, but, but before the game starts and then during the game when he sets that record.
0: I think it's a win-win for the Patriots if they fully embrace any and all opportunities to treat Tom well, to make it sentimental, to make it emotional. I think the more emotional the night is, the more the advantage swings to the Patriots because Bill Belichick will never waver. The Patriots players will never waver. Tom possibly will, and they know him better than anyone. So they'll lay it on thick. Maybe it'll even seem passive-aggressive. Will he have a wall up at all as they try to do it? Does he know going in, you know what, I know what these guys are going to do to me. They're really going to try to suck up to me and butter me up and get me off my mark that way before the game even starts. But uh, interesting developments to keep an eye on as the game unfolds in the early stages. At some point it does revert to being a football game, but the damage could be done. By the time it gets to that point where it settles down, if the Patriots jump out to a big lead, I think most people are probably going to pick Brady and the Buccaneers to win. Right now, the Brady team is the better team, and uh, we saw both of them lose on Sunday, and I think the urgency is going to be there for both teams to win, but the Buccaneers even more so as they, they have seen their hold on the NFC get a little shaky after what the Rams did to them on Sunday. All right, the Buccaneers may be bolstered on Sunday with a defensive back who has been a free agent for months, more than 6, Richard Sherman, reportedly visiting the Buccaneers. There have been reports and rumors and loose affiliations whether it's the Seahawks a potential return there that bubbled up at one point, although I think that was kind of a Eli Manning double-barreled middle finger to Russell Wilson cuz there's bad blood between the two of them even though they'd all deny it when Russell wanted out co- coincidentally or ironically or whatever The Richard Sherman rumors bubbled up. San Francisco has kind of kept him back burner, arm's length. I don't think they want him back in San Francisco for a variety of reasons. The Buccaneers have a need for injury purposes, and I think Richard Sherman would be on his best behavior. He'd defer to Tom Brady. He wouldn't be a problem. And, you know, whether or not his skill set meshes with what the Buccaneers currently do defensively is a different story. But the guy's played a lot of football. He's very football savvy. And ultimately, he's healthy, which can't be said for a lot of the defensive backs that they need to have out there on the field when it's time to play games, Shereen,
1: I just want Richard Sherman to sign with the Bucs and go up to Brady and say, you mad, bro. Remember when he did that? That was a fun moment. That was when we first became aware
0: of Richard Sherman. That was when we first became nationally aware of Richard Sherman.
1: It really was and and so now Richard Sherman has a chance to sign with the Buccaneers. they signed these players we saw it last year right they added Leonard Fournette, Navy and all these players. they want him to come to Tampa they want to play in Tampa. they want to play with Tom Brady. Brady's going to talk to Sherman if he wants Sherman and say, hey come join us. I can't imagine that Richard Sherman is going to get out of that building without signing. They need him they need him bad. Carlton Davis has been on the injury report with a couple of injuries. Sean Murphy Bunning and Jamel Dean are now hurt. And they they played a guy, Dee Delaney. He had f- taken four defensive snaps, Mike, before Sunday's game, ever in his career. And he played 51 plays on defense. And they need help at that position. Richard Sherman's probably the best guy out there. Quentin Dunbar has signed uh, with the Cardinals or is is signing with the Cardinals. Richard Sherman's the best veteran guy out there. They have a need for him. I can't imagine he leaves without the Buccaneers signing him.
0: Yeah, I agree with you completely. And uh, we'll see how much he has left in the tank. That's the other question. Can he still play? He's had some injuries. He's older. Uh, Not everybody's Tom Brady and can play at a high level at 44. Richard Sherman, not even 34, but possibly given the demands of the position, physically not where he needs to be. We'll see. We'll see. And uh it's good that he's getting an opportunity. I agree with what he said last week when he had an interview I think with Doug Ferrar of USA Today, I believe. It's hard to keep all the affiliations straight out there regarding his belief that you know he had a low moment in July, but his body of work is very impressive and people go through things and I hope Richard Sherman does get a chance to play. I hope that's not an impediment. It should not be. There are impediments potentially to the Dallas Cowboys, despite the fact that they're two and one. One is the periodic mismanagement of the clock by head coach Mike McCarthy. Jerry Jones, in his Tuesday appearance on 1053 The Fan in Dallas-Fort Worth, he does Tuesdays and Fridays. Day after the victory, they reluctantly asked him, Sean and RJ did, about the clock management problems that reared their ugly head just before halftime of last night's game when the Eagles had the ball and when Mike McCarthy failed to use timeouts to ensure that the Cowboys would have a chance to maybe score some more points and extend their 20-7 to 7 lead. Here's Jones talking about McCarthy's issues or not with clock management.
2: Other teams have issues with clock management. That's part of the game. Let's cut things some slack and realize that uh, if you do enough plays... Uh, we were critical of Garrett when he was here, and uh, don't you think that goes with the territory? Yes, that's my point. I know firsthand uh, Mike's capabilities and have uh, know how he approaches it, the logic that he uses, and I'm not a bit concerned about his ability to manage a tight situation.
0: I get it that a certain amount of criticism goes with the territory, but that doesn't make the criticism wrong. Jerry mentioned that we used to criticize Jason Garrett. Well, yeah, justifiably. <laughs> he mismanaged the clock, and, 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 and that was more when he was the head coach and the play caller, and that was the macro and the micro, the walking and chewing gum at the same time. You're so caught up in the game-specific uh, play calling. One play after another after another, you may lose sight of the bigger picture as to how you're managing your team. But really, on game day, head coach decides when to go for it on fourth down, go for two, onside kick, fake punt, and ultimately, clock management. That's one of your most important functions. And so many kids out there play Madden. We all know when the clock is being butchered. And do other teams have those issues? Yeah, and we call them out when they do. It's not every team. You can't say every other team has clock management issues. Bill Belichick doesn't have clock management issues, and that's what everyone should aspire to be. It's not that difficult. The challenge is keeping your wits about you when you're out there in the middle of that 70,000-person crucible having to make decisions in real time. That's where it becomes a challenge. The best coaches can do it. The not best coaches tend to struggle. Shereen.
1: The concern for the Cowboys, Mike, is this has come up twice now in three games and the Cowboys managed to win both of those games, which is why Jerry said what he said. If the Cowboys had lost last week and again this week and were sitting there 0-3, I bet Jerry Jones would have had a, a better answer than that, a different answer than that. But the kicker bails him out last week with a fifty-six yard field goal, and frankly the Eagles bailed him out this time because they were so bad last night that the Cowboys didn't need those points before the half. But the Eagles faced a third and twenty-four. Your defense has stopped them aside from the first play of the game to Dallas Goddard. They've stopped them. So call the timeout, reserve the time. You're at least gonna get a chance to kick a field goal off of that or should. And they didn't do it. And to me, it was a failure to put your trust in Dak. You keep saying Dak's one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. You've paid him as one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. Call those timeouts. Reserve it. Put your trust in that defense, which has played really well so far. Get the ball back for Dak. And then trust Dak to go lead him down and kick at least a field goal, if not get a touchdown. And the the Eagles at that point would have been finished as it was. You let them hang around because they're, you know, still only two touchdowns down at the half. And they were still in the game at that point. If you'd scored again right there, it surely would have been over. And it was quickly over in the third quarter. But they could have put it away far earlier.
0: There's a counter-argument to that, and I'm trying to be fair to Mike McCarthy, and there are two of them. Yeah. One is tongue-in-cheek, and that is this. The counter-argument that is kind of a joke is that he didn't want the ball back because he only would have screwed up the clock management with a final opportunity and it would have been more <laughs> glaring, so it's better to screw it up while the Eagles have the ball. The other one, and it reminds me of a game from 23 years ago where the score was 20-7 to late in the first half, and the team that was leading twenty to seven decided to go pedal to the metal to try to deliver a death blow before halftime, and that was the then sixteen and one Minnesota Vikings against the Atlanta Falcons. And Chuck Smith came around the end, knocked out the ball. The Falcons recovered. They scored a touchdown. It was twenty to fourteen at halftime. And that was a far different vibe in those twelve minutes back in nineteen ninety eight. And I still don't believe you should reside in your fears. I think you should be aggressive. But The only argument in favor of McCarthy is I was so convinced that we're the superior team and I was so convinced we're going to come out of the gates in the second half and continue to kick their asses that I didn't want to give them an opening with some sort of mistake that could make it 20 to 14 and they get a lift because they get the ball first in the, in the third quarter and it worked out. Hey, it worked out. Pick six it's 27 to seven death blow delivered. Then that was when it was time to sing, turn out the lights, the party's over. And, uh, yeah, and so it worked. But, um, and, and you know what? Maybe Mike McCarthy just should have explained it the way I just explained it. Maybe he should have yeah. said, I firmly believe that we were going to suffocate this team. I firmly believe that we were fine. And, and I didn't want to get greedy because I've seen instances in the past where teams get greedy and something happens and the next thing you know, it's 20 to 14. Case in point, 1998 NFC Championship game.
1: Well, you explained it far better than he did, Mike. And that's the thing. He hasn't earned the benefit of the doubt because so many of these things have happened with him over the years, not just here, but at Green Bay, too. But it happened last year. It happened in the Chargers game. It's happened repeatedly. So he hasn't earned that benefit of the doubt that I would like to give him in this game. But if you explain it like you explained it, I said, yeah, okay, I, I, I buy that because you were the better team. You proved you're the better team in the first half and the second half. You came out and you quickly put them away. But, you know, he's got to fix those problems going forward or Jerry Jones is going to have a different answer. And that different answer at some point might be, hey, we got Kellen Moore sitting over here who may be a head coaching candidate at some point. I'll just put him in and make him my head coach if you can't handle time management.
0: And and Jerry could have explained it the way I explained it. Instead of just acting like, well, you know, it's just unfair criticism and everybody has clock management issues. No, no. You could make the case yes. it's not even a clock management issue. That That's a better argument than, yeah, we kind of screwed up, but everybody screws up, and we like to criticize people for screwing up. Maybe we didn't screw up. Maybe there was method to the apparent madness. The Cowboys have plenty of things to feel good about, including very versatile linebacker Micah Parsons, not quite still Magic Johnson in the NBA Finals as a rookie, playing every position on the floor, including center but Parsons showing that versatility, moving around. Here's Jerry doing a mini victory lap on 105.3, the fan in Dallas earlier today, about the 12th overall pick in the draft.
2: He's a uh, outstanding uh, person. He's as pure as mother's milk. He just basically steps out there and gives you everything he's got. And nature gave him some skills, and boy, does he know how to use it.
0: He absolutely does, and it's so weird to see him wear number 11. It makes a guy yeah. look smaller, doesn't it? When you see a defensive yes. player in 11, you think he's his safety, and then he's playing defensive end, and of course he's undersized as a defensive end would go, but so was Jason Taylor. I mean, if you've got the skills to get past that tackle, it doesn't matter how big you are. It really is amazing. He's already the defensive rookie of the year, barring some sort of catastrophe, yeah. and I don't want to put the accidental jinx on him, but if he keeps playing like he's played, he wins it unanimously, Shereen.
1: Oh, no question about it. I think you can take that piece of paper write his name on there right now. Maybe you want to do it in pencil instead of pen since we're only three games in, but he has been the best defensive rookie in football. He's been outstanding. And to, to play that many positions early in your rookie season is just outstanding. I don't know if we've seen a player quite like that to do what he's done at as many positions as he's done it at so far in his career
0: yeah and uh, again it didn't take much to make that Cowboys defense better because it was so bad last year it is far better so far than it was in 2020 quick break when we return on PFTPM a round of which doesn't belong and why and still to come the week Four awards with MDS we'll be back with more right after this
4: Man, we're not gonna push the panic button. What do I mean by the panic button? You know, we're not gonna dramatically change who and what we are at this juncture. Um, we're not resisted to change for the purposes of getting better, but we're not gonna be so unsteady that we move away from our compass, the identity that we worked hard to develop and will continue to work hard to develop and, and the emphasis on a style of play, whatever that may be in all three phases.
0: Mike Tomlin, the Steelers head coach, talking earlier today about not pushing the panic button. I guarantee you plenty of Steelers fans already are mashing it. And that group of Steelers fans that always emerge when the team hits a rough spot and they say, fire Mike Tomlin, that's going to happen again. I guarantee it because it's so early in the year, a season of high expectations, although I don't think the expectations should have been as high as maybe they were. It's all starting to fall apart. Embarrassing any time they lose at home to the Bengals. They got outclassed by the Bengals. You know, I said, Shireen, they need to be thinking about their plan for the future at quarterback or they're going to get left in the dust in the AFC North. Chances are they're going to get left in the dust in the AFC North before Ben Roethlisberger even retires.
1: And the problem they have, Mike, is they're not going to have that high draft pick. Now, maybe one of those veterans that we've talked about that may be looking to switch teams after this season a Seattle, you know, with Russell Wilson or Atlanta with Matt Ryan or Houston, Deshaun Watson, whoever it may be. But that's not really been Pittsburgh's M.O. So if you're going to draft a quarterback, first of all, I don't know that there's any super duper great college quarterbacks. We haven't seen it so far yet this year. And secondly, they're not going to have a high draft pick to be able to do that. So here they sit without anything at the future, perhaps putting all their uh future into a basket with the Sean, uh, Dwayne Haskins. And that's not really something I would think that you would want to do, Mike, considering how quickly he flamed out in Washington.
0: Hey, Shereen, when you say the Steelers may not have a, a first-round draft pick, they, they may have a first-round draft pick that is high. They may. And all it took was number 11 in 2004 to get Ben Roethlisberger.
1: That's true. Now,
0: they, they had Eli Manning, Philip Rivers, Ben Roethlisberger on the board, and they were the only team that was seriously interested in Roethlisberger. That was the only place he took a visit. It worked out well. They went 20 long years between Terry Bradshaw and Ben Roethlisberger with not high-round, high-first-round quarterbacks. So, um, that could still happen. They, they could end up doing a free fall and being in position to get one of those guys, but regardless it's falling apart quickly for the Steelers and that leads us to the first which doesn't belong and why Steelers Seahawks and Dolphins teams that have dropped two in a row after encouraging week one wins which doesn't belong and why
1: well I'm gonna say the Dolphins because they have a young coach a young team a young quarterback those others obviously have the veteran quarterback that we talked about the veteran coach more veteran teams we expected more out of them The Dolphins are trying to prove that they belong. They haven't been to the playoffs in a really long time. They had a chance last year, and they blew that. The Steelers and Seahawks at least both made it last year. They didn't get very far. They were first-round flameouts, but they did make it to the postseason, Mike. So I think it's the Dolphins that I would leave out of that conversation right now.
0: I'm going to say the Seahawks for two reasons. One, it's the most surprising to me that they've quickly fallen on hard times. And secondly... They've got the highest potential for unexpected quarterback chaos. You know, in Pittsburgh, I think there's a chance Ben retires or goes on IR. If this continues, that won't surprise anybody. In Miami, there's a chance Tua Tagovailoa gets benched or they trade for Deshaun Watson. That wouldn't surprise anybody. I pointed out earlier today in the power rankings, and I, I said this a little jokingly but also more seriously than jokingly, we think Russell Wilson is going to bring back his desire to be traded in March if things don't go well this year hey, the window's still open until November, too. If the wheels come off for the Seahawks the next few weeks, maybe his agent will be texting reporters that my client does not want to be traded before the trade deadline in 2021. But if he were to be, here are the teams that he would accept a trade to, (laughs) just like he did back in, in March. All right, Raiders, Broncos, Chargers, AFC West teams that each have a better record than the Chiefs, which doesn't belong and why?
1: Well, I'm going to go for the Broncos for reasons we talked about yesterday, Mike. But the teams they've played are 0-9. As you pointed out, three of those losses were against the Broncos. But their next four opponents, 8-4. and 4. Baltimore, Pittsburgh, Las Vegas, and Cleveland, if they win those four, we'll be calling them a contender. But the Raiders and Chargers already have quality wins, much better quality wins than the Broncos have. That's why I would leave the Broncos out of that conversation for now. I think they can be a contender. I just don't think we know enough right now. I do think we know enough about the Raiders and Chargers, having seen them beat really good teams, to know that they are playoff contenders.
0: I say the Chargers don't belong because I think they're the best of the bunch. And I may be proven wrong in six nights when the Chargers host the Raiders. But I think the Chargers are the best of the three teams as long as they stay healthy. And there have been some questions. You know, Joey Bosa, his availability was up in the air. Derwin James was a little banged up. But I think the Chargers are the best of the three teams. Matthew Stafford, Teddy Bridgewater, Sam Darnold. Quarterbacks thriving in their first seasons with a new team, which doesn't belong and why.
1: I think this is the most obvious one, Mike, and it's Teddy. You know, Teddy's 28. He's on his fourth team now. He's been written off more than once, but mainly because those other two quarterbacks went to those teams as the starter. They were going to start there. They got new starts. We said, oh, can't wait to see what these two teams are going to do with those quarterbacks. And they've done well, where Teddy went there and had to win the starting job. He did that, but he actually was in a competition, a close competition. Uh, with Drew lot for that starting job
0: i'm gonna say matthew stafford because he is the 2021 version of tom brady the veteran quarterback who wanted out who got out and is having a great year and it's going to embolden more veteran quarterbacks to make that same move next year whether it's russell wilson aaron Rodgers, we already expect to do it but other veteran quarterbacks who say you know what i'm wasting my career with an organization that doesn't put the right support around me, whether it's coaching staff, whether it's other players, whatever the case may be, I'm going to call my shot, I'm going to pick my spot, and I'm going to go become the next in this chain of veteran quarterbacks who end up in a new city and have incredible results right out of the gates. Colts, Jaguars, Jets, 0-3 teams in the AFC, which doesn't belong and why, Shireen.
1: I'm going to say the Colts, Mike, just because we expected more. I don't know how much more because you had questions about Carson Wentz, but – but we expect them more. I mean, they've been to the playoffs two of the last three years. They've had two losing records over the past nine years. We know the Jets and Jaguars history. They haven't been to the playoffs in a while. The Jets are on their fourth coach since their last playoff appearance in 2010. The Jaguars have had one playoff appearance in the last 13 years. Of course, that was 2017 when they surprisingly got to the conference championship game. But I do think we expect more out of the Colts this year.
0: I'm going to say the Jets just because it's been my own experience that their fans are the most upset and defiant about any criticism <laughs> they still get at being 0-3. The Zach Wilson Mafia is already as strong as the Tua Tagovailoa Mafia. I think the Colts fans are just kind of defeatist. They understand whatever can go wrong is, and we accept the fact that even though we tried to make ourselves think we were going to be good, we kind of suck right now. The Jets fans are in full-blown denial about how bad their team is because they thought Zach Wilson was going to walk through the door and be Broadway Joe right out of the gates. He still could be, but he's not doing it right out of the gates. Let's take a break. We'll bring in MDS for the Week 3 PFTPM Awards right after this.
3: Well, it's a rough night, I guess, for some of those uh, he-doesn't-care <laughs> campers. <laughs> uh I love the game, man. I love competing. There's nothing like it. There's, there's nothing like uh, uh, having the ball in your hands with a chance to win the game uh, late in the game. Uh, that's yeah, that's what we live for. That's what we dream about. We don't dream about you know kneel downs at the end of the game. So we dream about, OK, we got to go down and put the ball in position to either win it with a field goal or win it with a touchdown. That's what, that's what you dream about. You know, When I grew up, uh, when I was a young kid watching the Super Bowl and watching the drive. Um, You know, that's what I wanted to do. Drive your team 92 yards down the field and win a game. Now, that was San Fran, so obviously I've been a San Fran. uh, I was a San Fran fan my entire young uh, life. Uh, So it always is a special place for me to come back to Northern California, but I don't need any extra motivation or or inspiration. Uh, It was a measuring stick for our football team, I think, to see how we matched up against against another really good football team, and, and I'm proud of our guys.
0: You know, that was an important win for the Green Bay Packers because they were 0-2 two years ago in Santa Clara against the 49ers. The difference, though, I think is the Rams or the Bucks are this year's version of what the 49ers were two years ago. So the Packers still have some work to do. And Week 1 isn't going to disappear just because they've won a couple of games. I think, if anything, Week 1 becomes more jarring as we see the Packers play far differently than they did against the Saints all right MDS is with us with the the old school Steve Slayton jersey in the background I like to see that like to see MDS let's do the players of the week and the coach of the week and the rookie of the week coming out of week three we'll start with offensive player of the week MDS you're up
4: well we just had that clip and I'm not going with Aaron Rodgers though I'm going with Packers wide receiver Devontae Adams who was Absolutely outstanding on Sunday night with 12 catches for 132 yards. He had more than 50% of Rodgers' completions, more than 50% of Rodgers' passing yards. And watching that game, I was really thinking, I don't know if we talk enough about how lucky Aaron Rodgers is to have Devontae Adams. For all the talk there's been about the Packers not doing enough to build a team around Rodgers, there are a whole lot of quarterbacks who only wish they had as good a receiver as Devontae Adams. That hit that Devontae Adams took was extremely scary. It was actually a little scary that he came back from that hit as quickly as he did. But Devontae Adams, such a gamer, such a competitor, a really outstanding game on Sunday night. And I think Aaron Rodgers is lucky to have him.
1: I don't know if we've ever picked a kicker for our Offensive Player of the Week, but there is the obvious one of Justin Tucker. And it, it hurts my heart because the last time the Aggies and Longhorns played in 2011, Justin Tucker kicked a 40-yarder at the buzzer to give the Longhorns the victory, waiting for that rematch now. But, of course, he had the 66-yarder that was even bigger and better uh, in this game on Sunday against the Lions. saved the day, longest kick in NFL history by a mile. Uh, I think he's the second best kicker in NFL history, Mike, behind Adam Vinatieri. All he needs is that big kick in the postseason, the one or two big kicks in the postseason Super Bowl, win that, like Adam had, uh, to be considered the best kicker in the NFL. He has been truly outstanding since he came into the NFL.
0: He really has been, and he hasn't had the opportunities that Adam Vinatieri had. I fully believe he would deliver in those opportunities, and I think that What he's doing may be enough to get him to the Hall of Fame even without the the Adam Vinatieri opportunities that we've seen over the years. For me, it's Kirk Cousins, and I've had a complicated relationship with Kirk Cousins. He loves him. He loves him not, but he was awesome, awesome on Sunday making that Vikings offense go he was at the center of controversy over the vaccination issue he started slowly the the Vikings were underachieving and disappointing the first couple of weeks they should have won week two against the Cardinals they hardly should have won week one at Cincinnati as well but Cousins hasn't thrown an interception all year the offense without Dalvin Cook did not miss a beat Alexander Madison had something to do with that but Cousins really giving life to that passing game they don't have Irv Smith they're making it go with Justin Jefferson and Adam Thiel and Tyler Conklin chipping in. But Cousins really stepping up in what's an important year for him as the Vikings and their fans, I think, start to wonder, is he really the guy? He has these moments. They don't last long enough, but he does have these moments where he convinces everybody, you know what, maybe he is the guy. Defensive Player of the Week, MDS.
4: I'm going with Bengals linebacker Logan Wilson. That is not a name we've mentioned before in our weekly awards, but he had two interceptions of Ben Roethlisberger in Sunday's win over the Steelers. He actually has three interceptions this season tied for the league lead. And you know, Roethlisberger is really struggling this season. He's throwing a lot of short passes, looking looking a little overly cautious, overly concerned perhaps about his own ability to unleash the deep balls like he used to be able to do. But I think a linebacker like Logan Wilson who can, who, who can cover the middle of the field is going to get a lot of opportunities. I think we may have seen the blueprint that other middle linebackers are going to be watching, licking their chops when they're preparing to face Ben Roethlisberger because those short passes over the middle are going to be right there for the taking. Give Logan Wilson credit for taking two of them.
1: Yeah, AFC Defensive Player of the Week is going to be interesting, MDS, between Logan Wilson and Miles Garrett. I have to offset some of that Longhorn love with with the Aggie love for Miles Garrett. Four and a half sacks set the team record, was outstanding. The biggest thing was he challenged his teammates last week to step up. He said, I'm taking on so many double teams and getting chipped, and my teammates aren't stepping up. They had three sacks as a team, he had one in the first two games. They delivered on Sunday, nine sacks, four and a half by Miles. He was outstanding and showed why he has all-pro potential, why he was all-pro last year, and why he has Defensive Player of the Year potential this year.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and he'll have to compete with Aaron Donald, who had one of the three sacks that the Rams mustered of Tom Brady. Donald's my guy just because the Rams' defense was good enough to contain The Tampa Bay offense and the speed of that front four, and Donald is the heart and soul of it, really swarmed around Tom Brady and disrupted him in a way that we don't see him get disrupted very often. He still had over 400 passing yards, they still scored 24 points, but against the Rams, 24 isn't good enough. And we're looking for those teams with balance. The Rams have a stunning amount of balance. If they stay healthy, they are going to be very hard to beat. The Achilles heel for them is star players get hurt and they lack the depth because of cap reasons, because of so much they've invested in their great players. They lack the depth to to compete the way they can when their best players are on the field. Rookie of the week time. MDS, who you got?
4: I got Jamar Chase as my rookie of the week and really maybe my rookie of the year through three weeks of the season. He had two more touchdown catches on Sunday. He has four touchdowns already this season. He's averaging 20 yards a catch this season. He, he struggled mightily in training camp in the preseason. We all know about the, the uh, interesting excuse he offered about the, the football being a little bit different in the NFL. But man, this guy is a gamer. At LSU, he just stepped up in the biggest moments with Joe Burrow and now he's doing the exact same thing in the NFL when the game starts he is a phenomenal player, a big-time playmaker, big part of the Bengals' success so far this season.
1: I agree with you, MDS. Just like we talked about, Micah Parsons being defensive rookie of the year, I'm writing Jamar Chase's down, name down in in defense, in offensive rookie of the year. Maybe you just put it in pencil since it's three games, but he is that. But I tell you what, perhaps the second best offensive rookie so far has been Rayshawn Slater. We don't talk about offensive linemen very much in this, and and that probably wasn't his best game on Sunday. He did have the false start penalty before the fourth down play when they got the defensive pass interference penalty. But he has been outstanding for the Chargers and just a great draft pick, and he's shown that. He's going to be one of the best linemen in this league in a very short period of time. Only once have I ever voted for an offensive lineman for Offensive Rookie of the Year, and that was Quentin Nelson. This guy, aside from Jamar Chase, may have at least some consideration for that just because of how well he's played so far.
0: Let me say one thing about Chase because I spoke to him after the game with the two touchdowns. He's the youngest player with four touchdowns in his first three NFL games. He told me that the light came on for him in the preseason when he accepted the fact that in preseason games with limited reps and limited throws, you still have to be focused. So you always have to be focused, and you can't ever let it slip. And that gave him kind of a laser-locked-in vibe that he's carried into the regular season and haven't seen him drop any passes through three games. For me, Jeremiah Owosu-Koromoa, the linebacker of the Cleveland Browns, a guy they thought about taking in round one. He slipped to round two. They got him there. He had one of the sacks on Sunday of Justin Fields, although it would be easier to just list the Browns players who didn't have sacks <laughs> that day. But uh, he he is becoming – what they had envisioned. They have a very good defense. They're another team that has impressive balance. And when you've got that great front wall, it helps to have a second level of talented players who can get to the football. And Owusu-Koromoa proving to be one of the best young linebackers in the NFL. Coach of the Week time. MDS, you have the floor.
4: Vic Fangio as the Broncos 3-0 and after a 26 to nothing destruction of the Jets. And Fangio's players, they're just flying around. They're going hard on both sides of the ball. Now, I know in the previous segment, Shireen said the Broncos haven't played anyone yet. But they're not just winning. They are dominating. They've won all three of their games by double-digit margins. That's what good teams do. They dominate the bad teams. Fangio's team looks like a really good team right now.
1: I'm going to go with Matt LaFleur because we all thought the Packers, or at least I did, thought the Packers was dead after week one, and they've rallied back. They aren't dead. They're still going to be there in the end. They're going to be a contender, and I think he's done a great job of bringing that team back together, Mike. I got Chargers
0: coach Brandon Staley, who actually may end up being coach of the year, especially if they get to the playoffs. I can't give him credit for the touchdown pass from Justin Herbert to Mike Williams, because Herbert audible to that. It was supposed to be a run. But I do have to give Staley maximum credit for instructing his defensive backs to go ahead and mug Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey. <laughs> and they took the strategic chance that it wouldn't be called. And they were right. It wasn't called. So it's not a foul if the flag doesn't come out and the— Chargers worked it to perfection and got the victory. All right, MDS, we say farewell to you. We say, hold on. We'll be back in a moment with more PFTPM. It's mailbag time. We'll do that right after this.
3: I I take responsibility for um, how this game went tonight. I take responsibility for that. I'm going to learn from it, and I'm going to learn from it. We're going to be a better team from it. I believe that. Um, I truly believe that. You know, you take your douche, you don't you don't sit there and look at it, you flush it and move on. We're gonna flush it and move on.
0: Jalen Hurts, uh quickly on my <laughs> list of uh great sound bites, here's PFTP and Posse with uh, an important question, plus a photo, if this is not indisputable, conclusive. And beyond a reasonable doubt, the deck did indeed score a touchdown. The ball is clearly about three feet into the end zone. Here's the problem, though, and Shereen, I know you saw that image on the giant drive-in movie yeah. theater screen that hangs over the field in Dallas. If the forward progress is stopped and the play is over, that doesn't matter. I-, I think that the scrum of bodies made it impossible to really be clear and obvious about anything when it comes to replay review, whatever the call was, and we had fun with this earlier today, Those, you see the, the line judge act, you know, act like I know what I'm doing and I saw it. You don't see it. Nobody sees it. Nobody sees it. It did yeah. look like it should have been a touchdown, but nobody sees the ball ever. That's all the more reason to put some sort of electronic device in there so we know when the football gets to the front end of the plane.
1: It's so important, Mike, for what the on-field officials call because they're so reluctant now to overturn anything. And you're right, and I said that on Twitter today. That's what they might have ruled is that his forward progress was stopped and then he reached it over You can hear the whistle on the video, and it comes six seconds. It comes after he reaches across. That doesn't necessarily mean that's when they ruled that the play was over. However, we go back to really no accountability. If we had a video this week of the head of officials coming out and doing the video like they used to do, but we don't have that, so we don't know exactly what they ruled on that play, Mike.
0: That's my biggest concern right now with the NFL, the complete abdication of any responsibility, transparency, effort whatsoever to help people understand these close calls. It invites speculation that games are rigged. One more real quick. This one comes from Dr. J144. Bigger regret after three weeks. The Colts bringing in Carson Wentz at quarterback or the Steelers sticking for Ben with Ben Roethlisberger for one more season?
1: I think it's the Colts because they had other options. I don't know that Pittsburgh had a ton of other options of what they could do at the quarterback position, and now they've bought a little bit of time to figure that out. But they both probably have regrets, I would think, Mike.
0: I thought the Steelers and Ben would regret it by November. I think they regret it now, and I think that there's a chance he slips onto IR at some point, and that's it for Ben Roethlisberger, and we never see him play football again. But you're right. I agree with you. The Colts had other choices. They had other options. They had other things they could do. And they know, and everyone knew, the history of Carson Wentz. He's not injury prone. He is prone to putting himself in position to get injured. And it is such a fundamental truth for playing quarterback in the NFL. The best quarterbacks avoid getting injured, Shereen, and guys like Carson Wentz. And, and I admire the toughness, but they keep getting themselves in a spot where they get hit and they get hurt. We're out of time. We'll see you tomorrow. Have a great evening.